Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. <laughs> that was awkward. <laughs> Trust me, you've said it awkward a few times. Andrew's giving me a withering look. <laughs> in uh, in openers, in openers and closers, each of you have said it <laughs> mildly awkwardly the at least once. Protagonist Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Joseph Drowski here with Todd Mack, and each week we look at a great character in a great story, except not this week, in that we are going to be tackling listener feedback. So you, the listeners, uh, are deciding what we're going to talk about based on uh, what you've told us in person or uh, notes that you've left us in email or on our Facebook feed. Hooray, it's the mailbag mailbag episode. I'm really excited about this. We have had some fantastic feedback and I'm excited to dig into it. All right. All right. So? Uh, I guess the organization to this may <laughs> or may not make sense as we go through, uh, but we're just going to run with what what we have here. The first bit, bit of feedback we want to touch on is actually comes from my brother, John, who binge-listened to the entire catalog of the Protagonist podcast <laughs> as he drove across the country. <laughs> Which is now, at this point, I, at I least 20 hours. To- I hope he interspersed some other things. Yeah, I, th- I think he threw in a little <laughs> bit of something else. Yes. Uh, and one thing that he mentioned was that in the Casablanca episode, we talked about how well-behaved the Nazis were. That they really enjoyed <laughs> their rules and regulations, and they were not going to bend those. And he said uh, this film, which was... Was it 42, Todd? 1942? That's what... Oh, sure. Uh, keep going. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot there. Uh, but it uh, it came in a period where uh, America had declared war on Japan, uh, and it may have actually been in production before we had declared war on Germany. And though now in our contemporary day and age, we look at Nazism as the pure face of evil, and it's like our go-to pop culture bad guy that would you know do anything and everything. At that point, uh, the the conception of what the Nazis were and what they were doing, obviously. We weren't generally fans of what it was in America, but it was not the horror with which we view Nazis today. And so that may be one reason why that portrayal of Nazis was a little different than what, we, what you might expect. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so in, Thank in you. context, we didn't know about the Holocaust until after the war, basically. Yeah, we, I mean, we knew some of, you know, that the Jews were being mistreated, but the, the true horror of it was not known until, uh, the, you know, the American soldiers were entering Germany. That's awesome. I assume you're referring to the comment. <laughs> I mean, not- I, no, I don't, I don't know that I have anything else no, to say yeah, about that, right. except that... Wait, we just um, touched on the Holocaust, and you said, that's awesome. <laughs> no, I, the feedback yes. is awesome. I, I mean, that's a great insight into uh, that thing. Yeah. So, way to go. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I don't know. I I'd consider it uh, a contribution to, uh, to our understanding of that story. Yeah. Uh-huh. Definitely. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what I meant. <laughs> I, know. I know that's what you meant, Todd. <laughs> All right, uh, second bit of feedback that I want to share uh, is about the Quiet Man episode, and this one comes from my father. So we are staying within the family, but spreading out. <laughs> <laughs> no way, there's more family <laughs> to come. Family feedback coming, uh, but he uh, he felt that that episode. I think the phrase he used was that we were self consciously politically correct in the way we discussed uh, the. Uh, the feminine issues, the the feminist issues, and the the borderline uh, controlling nature of uh, John Wayne within that, and I I agree to a point. Uh, I think we probably allowed that aspect of it to dominate our conversation too much, but I think 
the issues that we were raising are valid, and I still feel that way. I was recently listening to a podcast that was talking about upcoming films, and it had uh, Bill Simmons and uh, Wesley Morris and I think Chris Chris something was on it. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But they sorry, Chris. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> if you're what, listening, what was it? <laughs> it was uh, one of the BS reports, uh, which uh, is now going to be a lamented podcast <laughs> as Bill Simmons parted ways with ESPN. But uh, <laughs> in it, they were talking about that there's a boxing film coming up, and one of them, I think it was Bill Simmons, was saying, you know, every few years we need a good boxing film. Like in a couple of years, I hope someone does like a. Uh, a Floyd Merriweather, uh, you know, inspired figure. And immediately the other two are like, no, you can't use him. And he said, no. He's like, it's not too bad if you don't know Floyd Merriweather has uh, domestic abuse issues in his past. And Bill Simmons was like, uh, you know, in these films, you always want the character to be flawed. And one of them said, no, in today's day and age, that is a flaw too far. Like, you cannot, the yeah. audience is unforgiving of that flaw. You you will have, you cannot have any sympathy for a protagonist. Uh, who engages in domestic violence in any way. And The Quiet Man toes that line. It doesn't go there, but it, it gets close enough that I'm very uncomfortable with some of the scenes and the way that they're played out, even though I love the movie and I'm a fan of the movie. It's it's sort of like in the comic books, Ant-Man can get no traction anymore. Right. Because Pym, the, the character of Hank Pym in Ant, or, or Ant-Man, there was an issue of the Avengers in which he, uh, he hit his wife, uh, who is the Wasp in comic books. And since then... He is, uh, he can't be handled as a pure hero, ever. And, and there's, there's nothing coming back from it. Whereas, I mean, other characters have done crazy out there things. <laughs> Been villains, yeah. you know, in some storylines. And, yeah. and they all, uh, Magneto. they all somehow get a comeback, but Ant-Man, like, he, he, he cannot come back from that. One story. There is an Ant Man. There is an Ant Man film coming. Yes, up. that's not the same Ant. But they're not using the Hank Pym Ant Man. There, I, he appears as the older one who's mentoring a new Ant Man. Okay. Yeah, and my response to that is, um, I get that there is way more about that film to talk about than you know issues of domestic violence. Um, if I am ever going to air, uh, I would way rather. Uh, err on the side of sensitivity to an issue, that issue spe- specifically, um, than to err on the side of glossing over, yeah. glossing over it. But so, I think we we probably brought it up too we're, more frequently than yeah, we Yeah, we're to. working, <laughs> we're working through this, um, and I think we're getting better. There's a lot to learn about it, and um, and so thank <laughs> thank you for the uh, feedback. The, the terms I heard our dad use were uh, apologists and presentism, which he's very sensitive to as a professional historian. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think uh, understanding the context, both of the genres is coming out. Another thing I mentioned they made is that this is in the vein of some of the screwball comedies. Uh, you know, it's, it's not quite... Yeah that as a genre but it's you know it's coming out of that kind of tradition so understanding the context of the genre and the context of the times are important in appreciating the film but i think uh we can still apply present concerns to it and discuss how it makes us feel as a present audience and i think it's a good opportunity for you and i to just reevaluate the way that we discuss these things and i'm i know that it has the way that we discuss these things is heavily uh, rooted in our training and a lot of our training has had to deal with um it, it has been in tr- trying to recognize these kinds of issues yeah. so it's not it's not surprising to me that it was on both of our minds as we were talking about it uh, we'll try not to l- uh, let those kinds of things dominate discussion in the future 
although I'm sure that we will bring them up when uh, when it comes up. All right. So moving on to our next bit of feedback. Uh, our next bit of feedback comes from listener Jared, and he sent a letter. And I really like it, so I'm going to read it. Please do. If that's okay. He says, I'm a good friend of Todd. We've known each other ever since our grad school days. I want to tell you how much I've enjoyed your podcast. Thank you, Jared. Uh, I attended the San Diego Comic-Con as a wayward teenager before it was cool. Does that make me a hipster? (laughs) And still have copies of the Infinity Gauntlet series. I can remember foraging through the immense stacks and stacks of, well, cardboard boxes filled with comics just to find them. Your comic podcasts are especially nostalgic for me. To the point, I am an absolute bibliophile. I've been reading books for as long as I can remember. The first book I remember flipping through was Dolaire's Book of Great Greek Myths. Not great Greek myths, but just Greek myths. Uh, I love the pictures, the stories, and the characters. I've dedicated quite a bit of my uh, career to reading and interpreting all types of literature, especially dramatic works, but find myself drawn again and again to my favorite novel, novel, Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. The first time I read that book, I was on a scout camp out, and while we sat around the campfire, I nestled into a corner, pulled out a flashlight, and vicariously experienced the adventurous escapades of Jim Hawkins. Which brings me to my first question. What is your favorite novel... And Todd, if you say Don Quixote, you better explain why. So let's pause right there, and uh, let's tackle that. So Joseph, what's your favorite novel? <laughs> I'm sure this is a really easy yeah, one to answer. I think whenever I get these favorite questions, I, I imagine most people have this. Like, there's tiers where, like, I have a prime tier, the top tier, where there's a, a bundle <laughs> of books that are floating. But the first novel that popped in my head... I thought you meant tears like Lagrimas. Like, <laughs> no, no, uh, but like... Uh, <laughs> like tears yeah. of sorrow, tears of joy. Like a ranking system where there's like tier one films. I've got this, you know, these are always in the discussion for my favorite film. And then there's two, tier two, which I really enjoy, you know, on down. Uh, but the first book that popped in my head when you read that question was a book that you recommended to me called The Name of the Wind. Wow. Yeah. And I... I Okay, wait, wait. This is amazing because guess who recommended The Name of the Wind to me? I'm going to guess it's your friend Jared. Listener Jared. <laughs> he gave that book to me as a gift, yeah. So it all, it's come full circle. Wow. Yeah, that was the first one that came to my head uh, as I'm thinking. So. That gives me goosebumps. And uh, your answer, Tom? Um, I'm going to go with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, that's a good one. So, so is that the British printing? Uh, I think it's the American one. So, um, sorcerer's the reason stone. why the sorcerer's stone, the sorcerer's stone, yeah. Uh, the reason why is because, gosh, I don't see now. I now that I say that, now I'm like, wait a second. All of these other novels in my head are like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I guess, you just said uh, that. Yeah, real quick, I should probably say uh, "Name of the Wind" by Patrick Rothfuss. Just for listeners who are not familiar with it, you should go read it and become familiar with it. It is so good. It is a uh, fantasy novel, but, uh, and it's, it's long and it follows this amazing life of a character named Kavoth. And you just become in love with the world that is built. It's one of my favorite, uh, world building examples of fantasy where, uh, the way he structures, I say fantasy that there's, you know, there's magic and eventually you do meet some sort of fairyish creatures but the way that they, they treat the magic is much more of a science, that it's not just wand-waving, but it's, you know, it's, it's about understanding weights and measurements and energy flow and all these things. Okay, so I, yeah, so if you put a gun to my head today and said, what was your favorite novel of all time? Uh, I may say Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, 
and immediately as I say that, all every other novel that I've ever read <laughs> sort of shouts in the back of my mind, like, I can't be you traitor. <laughs> Harry Potter is in tier one for me as well. That's in my, my upper tier. I would have to add to that list immediately um, the Lord of the Rings novels uh, and The Hobbit as books that really shaped me as a young reader. And so there, I don't know, there there Uh, are a few different ways of approaching this. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. (laughs) Just thought of that one. Well, there's, see, there's a few different ways of, of, of approaching this because there are like, what, what do I consider the best novel? Like the best written novel of all time. Um, I, I may say Don Quixote just because it's a tour de force and, I will never stop thinking about that novel and the way that it's structured and the insight that Cervantes has into human nature is beyond human in a, in a way that I think few authors ever achieve. I think Shakespeare comes into that level of understanding, but I don't feel the same emotional attachment to Don Quixote as I do uh, to a book like Harry Potter, which came into my life when I was in high school in a really, like a kind of a dark period for me where I was just dealing with a lot of emotional stuff. And I had forgotten uh, how, what an important part uh, reading was to like my soul. And a good friend of mine recommended that book to me in, in a really kind of dark time for me. And I remember going into my room and lying down on my bed and cracking open that book and hearing J.K. Rowling's voice uh, as narrator and and remembering what a key role literature and, and especially these um, fantasy novels that I had loved growing up were. And that's why Harry Potter stands out um, to me sort of on a really kind of emotional level. So I don't know. I think it, it's a really, really tough question to answer. Um, but that's my best, that's my best, uh, shot at it. So Jared continues. He says he's been on an extended French literature kick. Uh, he likes to have a a book by his bedside to read. Uh, It tends to be something from the romantic tradition. Uh, Dumas and Hugo, he mentions Edmond Dante from the Count of Monte Cristo as his favorite protagonist. Um, and his favorite antagonist is, uh, Javert from Les Mis. I'll allow it. And (laughs) Uh, and then he says, so what about you guys? Who is your favorite protagonist and your favorite antagonist and why? Oh, I wish I'd read through these notes before. <laughs> Should have done a, an entire episode that was his question. Yeah. His we letter. could easily. Yeah. Yes. I'll let you go first on uh, protagonist. Favorite protagonist of all time. Bilbo Baggins, I think, is high on that list. That's, that's the first one that uh, jumps to my mind. So I'll, I'll stick with it. There's, I'll tell you, there is a, another uh, author that I read a lot when I was young is Louis L'Amour. And at some point we'll do a Louis L'Amour novel. I'm not sure that I've picked uh, my favorite but or the one that we, I, I want for us to do on the podcast. But I think my favorite character from Louis L'Amour is a guy named Kilkenny. And he's just a really cool kind of um, – he's a gunslinging cowboy. And he has this kind of tortured past – and he's trying to put it behind him and live kind of a quiet, peaceful life, but he has a reputation and people keep trying to find him. It's very, I don't know, I'm, it's, it's totally formulaic, but there's something about that character, Kilkenny, that um, has really stuck with me through time as I think back on those novels. Uh, so I like Kilkenny from Louis L'Amour and I like uh, Bilbo Baggins. 
All right. For protagonist, uh, what came to mind is uh, Phil from Groundhog Day. <laughs> Bill Murray's. <laughs> I love that character arc. I love Bill Murray's performance. Um, and I love the the change, which to everyone <laughs> in that universe must have seemed so abrupt. But as viewers, is so earned to see where he begins <laughs> the film as and where he ends the film as. Yeah. That's a great pick. I like that. We watched that the other night, and it's just totally delightful. Favorite antagonist? Uh, uh, I mean, I, I mentioned this when I was... Uh, like, I, I flew by with another novel that popped in my head when I said Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but Frankenstein's creature in the novel, mm-hmm. not in the film adaptations, but in the novel, is really fascinating. Um, and he's very... Uh, I mean, he's motivated by pain and by misun- like wanting to understand his place in the world. Uh-huh. And his creator hasn't given him any of that understanding. And he just wants his creator to explain things and to give him more family that's like him and to not just be this lonely soul creature in the world. And so the, the novel version of uh, Frankenstein's Creature is probably one of my favorite antagonists. But there's a lot of good antagonists out there. Magneto is good. Uh-huh. I, I've been uh, watching Gilmore Girls, and there's a character named Paris, and I'm only, like, I'm in season two, but she starts out as this pure antagonist for one of the main characters, and the way that she remains antagonistic, but you come to appreciate and understand her so much more. I am fascinated by the character of Paris in Gilmore Girls, so there's another one. See, this, uh, is another, this is another interesting thing, because I'm like, there are antagonists that I that I actually genuinely like, like Darth Vader. I think is a really great antagonist, but I don't, I don't despise Darth Vader. I'm not terrified by Darth Vader. I will tell you that one thing that terrifies me, and maybe I'm dodging the question with this, but something that terrifies me in an antagonist is the ability to shapeshift. So any shapeshifting antagonist to me is terrifying. So I'm Mystique from the X-Men and, uh, like in Fringe, there's a, they go through a period where they're fighting, um, shapeshifters and it just uh, like it feel it fills me with a spirit of dread a feeling of dread uh that i don't know that any other antagonist uh does for me when somebody is able to uh to take on somebody else's form because i'm like how can you possibly fight against that it's terrifying to me i don't know why but anyway thanks jared for your uh for your comments our next one is about our mouse guard episode and it is comment from listener mandy and she says my six-year-old daughter says these were the best books in the world we are grateful for the introduction to the mouse guard through your podcast we just finished listening to you guys talk with david peterson and it was fun to hear about the evolutions of how the story came about it's so inspiring to see people create great works we really enjoyed both fall and winter and are planning on grabbing the next book at the library tomorrow it has opened a lot of creativity and interactive play with my kids we have learned a lot of new vocabulary uh, learned more about directions and how to read maps and we just made lock haven out of cardboard tonight <laughs> so the kids have a base for their new ikea stuffed liam kenzie saxon sadie and gwendolyn to play uh, their mouse guard adventures thanks for the intro uh, love your podcast and i think you guys do a great job that just makes my heart feel warm that's totally awesome that yes, was a really uh, fun episode with uh david yeah, it's one of my favorites because I mean, she mentioned that we got such insight into his process in telling the story instead of just our kind of reader reaction or viewer reaction to reading or viewing a story. I think it's interesting. Usually you kind of frame the the episodes as something for people who have experienced the piece of culture. But 
people really are being introduced to things through this. Uh, I have a friend who said the first one she listened to was House on Mango Street, which I think is maybe a, a rough introduction. <laughs> yeah. Not the most accessible. <laughs> that was our smoothest episode. <laughs> um, you know, not the most accessible thing and not something a lot of people will have read um, who might stumble across the podcast. But she said she really wants to read the book now. Well, that's good. Yeah. And I mean, the, the format of our podcast lends to kind of a grab bag or potpourri style where you never know what we're going to talk about next. And sometimes we don't know what we're going to talk about next. And we also deliberately try and spread out the, you know, the genres we're looking at, the time period from which we're drawing our stories so that we don't get stuck into, you know, just, just repeating our own uh, childhood favorite stories and, and talking about those. I mean, I've been introduced to a couple of things. Like I'd never re- actually read the Hobbit uh, before we did that one. And, <laughs> I look forward to those, and I think as we get more requests from listeners, I'll be introduced to some things that that maybe I I you know just hadn't been exposed to before. Yeah, I agree. I was going to. I haven't run this by either of you, but um, I'm just going to say it anyway. And if we need to edit it, we can. But I would be interested in knowing if listeners would like to have some kind of heads up as to the next novels that were next novel that we're going to tackle, especially novels. I think because. Uh, it takes a while to get through them. And I don't know, I think, I wonder if people would be interested in us saying, hey, in the next two months we'll be looking at novel X. And so if you want to pull it off the shelf and read it, then, you know, I don't know. So if you do want a heads up on the novels, donate to the Patreon. (laughs) Every donation in the next six months will be counted as a vote for knowing the novel ahead of time. (laughs) Or or you can just let us know in the Facebook comments. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, I'll just say right now, the next novel that we're going to do is, well, I don't know when this is going to post. So should I say, uh, I'm not sure if this will be before or after Ender's game. Okay. Well, the one, the next one right now is going to be Ender's game. So, um, but this may come out the week after we talk about Ender's Games. So. And we haven't chosen the next one after that, for sure. But it I'm may, not opposed there to will be, making an announcement so on Facebook. Uh, well, we can say a future novel that we will talk about within the next rotation or two of our novel selections is The Air Affair so, uh, by Jasper Ford. So any listeners who want to get ahead of the curve, you can go read The Air Affair by Jasper Ford. And sometime within the next uh, one to four months, we will have an episode <laughs> on that one. Fantastic. All right. Our next uh, bit of feedback comes from our listener, uh, Jennifer. Jennifer. Um, she had a specific question. She said that she's been watching The West Wing, and, um, but they are at the beginning of season six, and they, she, she's not enjoying it as much. feels like it's jumped the shark. And she's getting a bit, bit mad at President Bartlett, and she wanted to know if we think that she just pushed through and finished the series, which ends with seven seasons. So she's almost there to the end. And you, uh, my answer was, I don't know, because I haven't seen past uh, four or f- four, which okay. is the one when the, the kidnapping happens. That's the end of season four. So that's where Spoiler I... Spoiler warning. Spoiler. No. <laughs> hey, I just said a kidnapping. That's yeah. not... I, I think that's a pretty safe uh, statement. Yes. When it comes to drama television. Yeah. So there is a kidnapping at the end of season four. Um, and uh, I gave a, a response there, but just to share a little bit of it, there was a major creative shakeup behind the West Wing between seasons four and five. Uh, the showrunner and creator of the series is Aaron Sorkin, and for the first four seasons, he wrote every line of dialogue that was said by any character. 
Um, he had he had writers who were helping to break stories and that were building the scenes, but any dialogue he actually wrote those words himself. Or at least this is what's been reported. That's amazing. But it, in the process of doing that, he would sometimes uh, be handing lines of dialogue to actors while they were on the set trying to film a scene. <laughs> And uh, the series became more and more behind, and it was destroying the budget as uh, episodes were taking longer to film than had been budgeted for. And he was removed from the show between seasons four four and five. And a lot of fans feel like five and six are are weak seasons where a lot of the characterizations that made them love these characters and love the show were lost in those seasons. And I feel like they get their footing back a lot more in season seven, uh, partially because they're introducing several they introduce a few more characters that are their own creations. They're able to give them their own voice. And so I think season seven of the non-Sorkin seasons is the strongest of those. So it'd be, I think it'd be worth pushing through to the end. Okay. And uh, Jennifer continues, and she says... Uh, we asked her what our thoughts on the podcast were. She says uh, that she and her husband are both big fans of Batman. Uh, they both watch the 90s cartoon. Most recent Batman movies are favorites for them. Uh, they're especially looking forward to the Batman versus Superman movie. And the thing they like most about Batman is his humanity and mortality. He's a rich guy with cool tools, but human just the same. Superman, on the other hand, is just that. Superman. Can't be killed or hurt. <laughs> uh, which is exactly why I like. I think Batman is more interesting than Superman. But <clears throat> that's a discussion for another day. Uh, how will the movie play out? Does Batman wear kryptonite brass knuckles? How does their world cross over? We would love any information you could give. Uh, oh, and then she finishes up by saying that she loves Doctor Who, never missed an episode, anything Doctor Who. Uh, so first response is Batman is definitely in the works uh, for an episode. We'll have a Batman episode coming up sometime in the next one to, well, two to 12 months. <laughs> yes. um, uh, but but the other the other thing, and for sure we'll do Doctor Who, and I think we need to think strategically about how to handle both Batman and Doctor Who. Because they're ones that we'd want to dip back into that well multiple times. Yeah, probably. Um, the other question is uh, thoughts about uh, Batman versus Superman, which gets into a broader question of, um, to me, how do we, how do you and I deal with on this podcast stuff that's coming out brand new that may be of interest to our listeners uh and the thought that i had and i also haven't run this by you so uh would be to have maybe short uh, episodes uh, maybe like bonus material as um maybe a special gift to patreon sponsors where we do uh we can respond like where, 15 20 minutes on our mm-hmm. thoughts of age of ultron yep and yeah any patreon donors would be able to access those issues i think that would be a nice little incentive. I think that would be a, maybe a good way to attack it, where we're not like putting uh, some film that just barely came out in the pantheon with some of this other great stuff that we're talking about, uh, but able to just sort of give a quick reaction to something that we uh, that we have seen um, that maybe people would be interested in hearing what we think about them. So I, I would be happy when Batman vs Superman comes out to you know sit down for even 10 minutes and just say this, these are sort of some of my thoughts about it. I haven't done a lot of research. I don't usually do a ton of research before films come out um, because I kind of like to go in fresh. So I'm not being into like reading blogs and getting behind the scenes stuff. I don't know how the Batman versus Superman thing will turn out. I haven't read the Batman versus Superman comics. Um, it always seems like it's pretty uh, <laughs> obvious who will win that fight. <laughs> There's a, uh, so the, there was, once an online comic, and I don't know that we'll be able to find it, but it said, uh, like, panel one was, 
how a Superman versus Batman fight would would play out, and it showed uh, Superman. It showed a red streak flying from the Earth to the Sun, which was Superman <laughs> depositing Batman in the Sun, and that was the end of the fight. And then it, uh, panel two said uh, how fanboys would react, and it it showed um, you know the stereotypical uh, geeky comic book fan like saying, "I have ten pages written out as to why Batman would be able to beat Superman in any fight." And then the next panel is just a red streak carrying the fanboy <laughs> into the Sun. <laughs> Uh, but in the comic books, they have fought a few times. Uh, Superman has trusted Batman with a kryptonite bullet at various points, saying mm-hmm. that Batman, should Superman go bad, he needs someone he could trust to take him out, and he would trust Batman to take him out. And, and Batman seems, like, pretty obliging. Yeah, that, but that does not fit the film universe that DC's building so far, that, you know, third chumps that would do that sort of thing. Uh, the most famous fight between them would be Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, yeah. in which Superman is kind of a mind-controlled zombie of the government uh, and Batman beats him in a fight, but it's there's a lot of caveats to Batman winning that fight. Not the least of which is that Batman is dead at the end of this fight yeah. Superman is alive. <laughs> but that's the one that everyone points to to say, see, Batman could win a fight. Uh, you know, it involves things like running the entire power grid of Metropolis through Superman's body and Kryptonite's involved and Superman, or Batman's wearing a powered suit. Does he start with a tank? Yeah, there's a tank involved, but again, it seems in like end, in that trailer. It seems like in the trailer of the new film that Batman has a special suit. Yeah, uh, but I think that that it's been a while since I've read this. But he ends basically saying with his hands around Clark's uh, or, or Superman's throat, saying, uh, "I want you to know in this moment that I beat you." And then Batman has a heart attack and dies, <laughs> <laughs> and Superman's still alive. Um, so uh, even in that most iconic example of Batman winning a fight versus Superman. It you know it doesn't really work out that way. I think the end of the comic shows that uh, Batman had uh, you know done one of those magical drugs that makes you appear dead. Uh, and the uh, the last panel is I think Superman hearing a heartbeat from the coffin yeah. and smiling. There's uh, a the subtitle of this new film is something Justice Dawn of Justice Dawn of Justice. So uh, I imagine that this film is probably going to take the tack that. Uh, these are two guys, they're sort of enemies, they fight, and in the end they decide that they're going to team up. And since there are announced cameos by Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, and Green Lantern, yeah. I believe, have all been announced. But the Justice Cyborg, League... Not Green Cyborg. Lantern. Yeah, the Justice League is coming, and yeah. so they're not going to end up uh, duking it out at the end. They will be united, I'm sure. Uh, the, the, the interesting thing will be how they... Not whether Batman and Superman end up on the same team at the end, because they will... Um, it will be what will be the nature of that relationship. Will, and, well, will and, they and be? Will they be this sort of like like chum, chummy kind of Superman going to Batman and saying, "Here's my kryptonite bullet, buddy. Um, I know that you. I know that I can trust you to take me out." Uh, or is is it going to be? Is there going to be a lot of tension between them and mistrust and sort of um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, like begrudgingly sort of right. joining forces because there's some greater evil or force or something that they have to team up to fight. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we all can probably predict some of the beats that are going to play out in this kind of a movie. It's just how well is that story told? Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm willing to have hope and optimism even as it is taken with a grain of salt as it has the same director and writer of Man of Steel, which is not my favorite Superman portrayal ever. But yeah. I can have hope that they will improve upon it and they will tell this story well. And the, this will be my last thought about that is I was also not a big fan of Man of Steel, especially not the way that it ended. Um, I felt like it wasn't true to the character of Superman as I 
uh, understand him. Um, and but it seems like, and I'll, all I have seen is one trailer for Batman vs Superman, so I'm probably reading a lot into this. Uh, but it's it's not hard for me to understand why the world would be really angry at Superman after what happened at the end of Man of Steel. So, the, I mean, I guess there's a possibility that there's a big master plan behind this, and it's part of some uh, Superman arc that's maybe new and different, and um, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot. Yeah, me too. All right, I think we've got some more kind of rapid-fire stuff to finish up this thing, so should we run through some of these? Sure. Uh, listener, uh, Our producer, Andrew, are these notes from you here? Yeah, yeah. I've talked to a number of people who... Uh, really like the draft episodes, which I know we didn't originate the <laughs> concept, but no. um, it seems to be very popular. I don't want to direct them to another podcast, but <laughs> maybe we should. Uh, yeah, the, the idea of the draft, that as as I have um, conceived, uh, imagined it, or not, I'm <laughs> swiped it, swiped it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it comes from a podcast called The Incomparable. Um, and it's a fantastic epa. It's a fantastic podcast in which they do a lot of what we do here, which is they tackle geeky um, culture stuff. So they do video games and novels and films, and they're a bunch of really smart people. They have normally big panels of you know five to seven people, and uh, they often do drafts of all kinds of crazy things. And it's totally delightful. And I thought I think we should give that a try. I have have, have a loads of fun doing the uh, draft episodes. And uh, special thanks to Todd Peterson for coming on for our Marvel Cinematic Universe draft. I thought that was a ton of fun. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll keep those in the mix. Uh, I, I think our, our core thing is always going to be talking about a great protagonist, a great character, and a great story. But we do like mixing it up with things like these listener feedback ones or the draft episodes and a couple other ideas that we've floated through uh, behind the scenes that we may see at some point. Yep. So listener Missy says, I listened to your podcast while doing dishes. It was much more entertaining than the radio. Wow. We, we've beaten out radio. Well done, uh, <laughs> uh, Fine job. Uh, I look forward to hearing more from Joe and Todd commentary. More Joe and Todd commentary. You two make a great team. I hope you're going to analyze book three of... Oh, this was uh, Hunger Games. Of the Hunger Games. Yeah, that one drove me crazy. I would love to hear both your thoughts. Um, And I I fully anticipate that we will finish that trilogy um, because I need something to force me to read book three because I've been putting it off. (laughs) The the pace of us hitting... Book two and three, it's hard to say because, like we've noted a few times in this one, we don't want to be revisiting the same stories too often. Uh, so I don't know if it'll be annually. You'll get another. Uh, but you know what? If you, if you donate $5 to the Patreon account, you can request. That's that. true. Yeah. And bump it to the top of the list. Any requests that come from Patreon donors go to the top of our list. Yep. And uh, we restructure our, our planned schedule around those. So, yeah, that's actually a really good point because left to our own devices, I don't know when we would get to... Uh, books two and three of the Hunger Games. Okay, I, w- I would guess it'd probably be one a year is what we end up covering. Yeah, at best. Unless there's some, uh, see, I don't know. We'll have to. <laughs> there, there will be internal discussions about when, how we deal with these kinds of things. I was gonna say when we start to talk about these, like we're like, like we just brainstorm somebody that we want to get to, and then when we throw in things like draft episodes, sometimes it's only three a month. <laughs> the pace at which we're able to get to the ones that we want to talk about uh, is say, a lot slower than we than I think we thought it would be when we started this. <laughs> I will say we have one hundred and nine works on our schedule right now, 
and we've done 20 of them. So we've got 75. So we have over a year. Uh, we've got a year and a quarter already basically on our list of stuff, and there's stuff being added every day. So, But, yeah, $5 a month, and you get to pick. So... There, there's that, <laughs> but I, I think those are on the radar. It's just the the pace of when we get to it. I was just going to say I have I have somehow managed to not have the end of Hunger Games spoiled for me, uh, despite uh, I I don't know how I don't know how I've gone this many years without. I have no idea what happens at the end of this novel, and I know that people have really strong emotional reactions to it. So I am really looking forward to digging into it at some point. All right. Uh, oh, go ahead. Was okay. Uh, a couple quick hits. Uh, our listener Grant uh, said that he is excited. He noticed our podcast yesterday and is trying to catch up from the beginning. Which uh, just <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the future, I will tell you, they get better and we get more polished. I think as we go along. <laughs> what would you say if you were going if Grant were here and you were to say, you know what, I would go back and maybe these are like a couple of our favorite episodes to go back on so that he doesn't maybe he doesn't have a cross-country trip to listen to every single episode i'd say hit the uh the draft episodes so we have a valentine's day draft and a what was the other one? the marvel superhero draft uh-huh and i think tangled was a really good discussion i agree and i think scarlet pimpernel was a really oh, good discussion scarlet pimpernel was really, really i think good. uh Mouse castle Guard. was actually i think castle was really i think good the one. ones i think miles Gardner was the I, ones where we have guests the ones where we have guests <laughs> I'm, I'm really proud of those ones <laughs> so I, I think our guests elevate uh the discussion so i agree so yeah mouse guard uh castle uh oh star wars also we had a, a great guest on that yep. one yeah uh, listener Tessa says, uh, my to read list was long before finding your podcast. Now it's hopeless, but thank you for all the suggestions anyway. <laughs> um, and I'm just uh, really happy about that. Yes. Um, I'm happy that she has a hopeless uh, list now that she's been listening to this because really part of my hope in doing this was to give people suggestions of great stuff to read. And, uh, you know, you can listen to these, and if it doesn't sound interesting, you're welcome to just move on to the next episode of our podcast and not think about that work again. But hopefully some interesting discussion comes about and gives, like you said, some people some new items for their to-read list, which, if they're anything like me, they have a very long to-read list already. Uh, All right. Uh, uh, we had loads of feedback about the Scarlet Pimpernel. A lot of it was um, people just, I had no idea how many people loved this this film uh but i was absolutely floored at the response that we had so um yeah i, don't I, know. I expected uh i would have anticipated we'd get the most response from something like the star wars episode uh just because there's such an active uh you know online culture a fan culture around that and you don't or at least i was not aware of so much fan culture around the scarlet pimpernel well like nobody nobody dresses up like cosplay of the scarlet pimpernel but I'm, I was shocked. Listen, listener Julie says, I love the movie. I read several of the books and made up more Scarlet Pimpernel stories in my head when I wake up in the night. Of course, I have become his trusty and very talented sidekick <laughs> in my stories. Such a fun fantasy. Uh, listener Brittany says, oh, I'll definitely, uh, Sir Percy is my jam. <laughs> um, and I, I kind of got the feeling that Sir Percy was a lot of people's jam. Yeah, and so... Yes, uh, I, I think, yeah, we, we just had more responses, just positive responses, and not necessarily about our podcast, but just about the idea of talking about Scarlet Pimpernel. It seemed to excite a lot of people. 
Yeah, uh, listener Renee, this was her first podcast that she ever listened to. So welcome to the welcome to the show, Renee. <laughs> if you're still listening. <laughs> And a few uh, specific bits of feedback about uh, issues that we raised in the podcast, uh, the Scarlet Pimpino podcast. Yeah, so this goes back to a comment that I made about um, that I wasn't totally satisfied with the with the way that Percy sort of accepted the story that Marguerite was a. Tr- um, this treacherous person at face value. And then he kind of uh, pushes her away. Um, and listener Linnell especially had some really great comments. Um, and so she says, one of the reasons that Percy's silence is believable to me is that he has actually just foolishly fallen madly in love with and married a girl. He doesn't really know. And he's coming to terms with that rather sooner than many people in that situation do. She really could be a bloodthirsty Jacobin. And then later she says, please bear in mind that these are two people who really do not know each other very well and that falling in love can and will confuse even the smartest people. In my marriage, it took 30 years to have certain very vulnerable conversations. That kind of emotional intimacy doesn't come easily at the beginning of the relationship. Two people are still very concerned with looking their best to each other. I think these are really great comments. I still find myself sort of like, I I don't know what to make of that part of that film. Uh, I love the film. And I love him as a character, and I love her as a character, and I thought that the um, the feedback was just uh, really great. Yeah, and we may have to, uh, you know, if we revisit any character, it may need to be the Scarlet Pimpernel at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the other comment that Linnell made that I really liked was that um, she said, "I you finally explain, f- explained finally why Anthony Andrews' version of the hero is so fascinating. He creates so many different personas in that movie, some of them very subtle and all of them interesting. And I thought that our I really enjoyed our discussion about his the nuances in his performance. Uh, our our Hunger Games episode also got us some good feedback. Listener Tessa said on Katniss's lack of productivity, I think that was intentional. The capital of the game makers, President Snow, created Katniss without getting put in the game. She would have gone along with the system. Their actions radicalized her. I think Collins is using Katniss as a sort of representation of the rest of Pan Am. Her journey reflects the people's beginning with reaping uh, Prim and continuing through the rest of the story. The capital pushes Katniss closer and closer to, and then over the breaking point. The capital did the same thing to the populace. They were pushed and pushed and pushed until they rebelled. Katniss doesn't want to be the Mockingjay because no normal person does she uh, but she knows that all people have breaking points and when pushed past them the people will snap the system's breaking of the individual represents the system's breaking of the masses and i think it definitely is part of uh, suzanne collins commentary about how uh, i mean this this dystopian world that she's she's built is certainly on a level a commentary about our own culture today and i think collins is talking about how normalized things that maybe shouldn't be normal uh can be in a culture if everyone accepts the status quo and katniss you know if she accepts the status quo she's not the revolutionary that some of the other characters around her are because to her she's saying you know this is normal there's nothing we can do about it so why should i even try yeah i i think it's a really insightful comment I just would repeat, I really like Katniss. Um, I think she's a great character. Uh, I think she's great for different reasons. And I think that part of what makes her great is that she has a really great uh, supporting cast. As As I was thinking about Katniss and the discussion that we had about her, uh, I was, I was thinking about the 
the differences between the film version and the the novel version. In the film version, she seems to take that revolutionary mindset more readily at the end of the film, whereas in, in the novel, she still seems very much Katniss, um, the Katniss from the beginning of the film, the or the Katniss from the beginning of the book, the Katniss that was fully prepared to put an arrow through Peta's eye if she needed to, uh, to win the to win the games. I think she's. I think she's complex. I think she's really interesting. I, like I said earlier, I'm I'm very interested to see how this story ends um, because I recognize that this is just part of her arc. So, but that, that's a really it is a really great comment, and uh, so thank you. Yeah. All right. Any other uh, feedback that we need to get to? No, I've just really enjoyed the doing this, and I continue to enjoy it, and love uh, hearing feedback from people. So keep it coming. All right. Well, then that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you can subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes. And we would also encourage you to please, please, please leave a review there. Just please just go take a moment and, and leave a review, preferably a good one. Uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like much, but it really helps the podcast uh, out and uh, the ability of us to, to share the podcast. And you can find links to everything that we've talked about in this episode, along with a list of all of our episodes at protagonistpodcast.com. And there's lots of more information there about how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter uh, individually as well. Uh, he is at Todd K. Mack. I am at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Jarowski and please like our Facebook fan page called Protagonist Podcast we love any feedback that we get and we put it into episodes like this one so thanks again for listening and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character and another great story so long so long I forgot the so long at the end (laughs) (laughs) that's alright That was a fast count. Yeah, I realized that. (laughs) Todd was prepped. (laughs) It's it's okay. It's not so bad. Six, uh... seven, eight.